The Woodies. Uh, who remembers the Woodies? Anyone out there remembers the Woodies? Yep. Woodford and Woodbridge. Uh, I forget which one of them was Mark and one of them was Tom, but I always get them mixed up and put them in the wrong place. They're just called the Woodies. Uh, growing up, I loved tennis. I didn't watch a lot of it, but I certainly played tennis. And I distinctly remember as a kid, it seems like the Woodies always won. Like It just seemed like whenever there was a doubles tournament going on, I would hear once again, oh, the Woodies, they, they won the Lotus tournament that they were playing in. Uh, they were a very common group. And so the reality is they did actually win. They won 61 doubles titles. They won every single one of the major titles. You may not know much about tennis. There are four main tournaments, and then there's a whole host of other little ones. And they also managed to win Olympic gold. They were an amazing couple that had an amazing time together. Obviously would have traveled the world together, would have roomed together, would have gone to all kinds of different places. Uh, eventually, I think it was Mark Woodford, I'm going to go with that, even if it's not, you can correct me later, uh, Mark Woodford retired. And so Todd Woodbridge kept playing, he actually got another, a new doubles partner and went off and did some things. And there was an interview a couple of years ago that really sort of caught my attention. Because I never would have thought about this, I never would have seen this coming. And it was when Mark Woodford was interviewed and he said this in 2020. It's probably one of the greatest quandaries right now. I wish Todd and I were in a better place. We haven't spoken for some time. Part of a, a longer article where he talked about the reality that something has actually happened. Now, he doesn't really go into the details, doesn't give lots of outcomes of why it's happened or where it's come from. But this, this couple that seemed to just dominate tennis and was obviously so close, you don't travel around the world in close quarters like they were for so long and not have some level of deep connection and friendship. But somewhere along the way, something has happened uh, to lead them to be separated, to, to not be as close uh, as they might like to be. When Tom Woodbridge was asked about this, he basically said, oh, everything's fine, it's great, we're wonderful. Interesting that the two parties have a very different perspective about what's going on. What about you? I wonder if you know, do you know some people? Some people that were really, really close for a long period of time, they did a lot of stuff together, but eventually something happened and those, those friends went their separate ways. Maybe you've got a story like that. Maybe you've had a friend in the past or, or sometime in your life that was really close to you. But then something happened and who knows exactly what it was and uh, there's different things that might have taken place. But a separation, a breakdown of the relationship, of the friendship, of, of two people that were really close together occurred. I'm going to delve into some stories in the Bible today that talk to this. Uh, we're continuing our series of Becoming the Church. We're journeying through the book of Acts and we're really wanting to learn how did the early church grow? How did it go from being a group of 12 sort of ragtag disciples, followers of Jesus, to a church of about 120, to a church of about 3,000, to being the largest faith followed around the world today? What, what happened in those early days? What can we learn from that church? As we live in a world now and live in a time where Christianity isn't as embraced, as perhaps it once was. And actually, in many ways, the world we live in today is much more similar to the world that the early church found themselves in. And in particular, I want us to ask this question. How should we handle conflict between Christians? 
How should we handle it when, when maybe there's some Christians that just don't get along for some reason? And we're actually going to take a deep dive into the story of two characters that are fairly prominent in the early church. Two people that have a significant role in the formation and the shaping of the early church. And then we're going to see what happens at the end as we look at a story uh, towards the end of their time of serving in the church. I'd love you to jump with me into the book of Acts. Surprise, surprise. Uh, so the book of Acts, we're going to start at chapter 9. And very quickly, just going to look through verses 26 to 28. When he, Saul, for context, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Now, we actually looked at this passage very briefly in a message a few weeks ago, but this is where we're introduced to our two main characters today. We have Saul and we have Barnabas. And it was actually Barnabas that enabled Saul to join the early Israelites. It was actually Barnabas that convinced them to allow him to move in. Next slide, please, Teddy. Uh, it was actually Barnabas that convinced them. So they, they weren't sure about this Paul guy. They just weren't sure that he was actually legitimate, that he was who he said he was. And it was Barnabas that vouched for him and said, hey, th th this guy, he's okay. He was clearly talking to Jesus. Next slide. Uh, then Barnabas went to Tarsus. We're in chapter 11 now. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians. So they were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, this is an interesting place. Again, we talked about Antioch, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Antioch was one of the first Gentile sort of growths of Christianity. And so Paul and Barnabas, or Saul as he's still called at this stage, uh, Saul and Barnabas actually stay there for a year. And they invest significantly into these early Christians, into helping them to discover what does it mean to be a Gentile and a follower of Jesus? And how is that different to being a Jew and a follower of Jesus? And there's all kinds of things that take place in Antioch, but it's really a place that Christianity took off. But anyone who calls themselves a Christian actually has Antioch to thank for that title. The title of Christian, which is what most people around the world who follow Jesus either use Christian or the equivalent of it in their language, will actually use this phrase, Christian. It, it comes from Christ and Tian, which in the Greek is little, a little one, a little follower, a little anointed. Uh, Jesus' Messiah was anointed. And so the idea here being is effectively they were calling themselves little Christ or Christ's ones, that this is who I belong to. I belong to Christ. And so it was in Antioch that this phrase first started to be used. And this is where Paul and Barnabas had a very significant ministry. Uh, in Acts 11, 29 to 30, we read this. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help to the brothers and sisters living in Judea. 
This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And in verse, chapter 12, verse 25, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. So again, sometime later, uh, Paul and Barnabas, sorry, Saul and Barnabas, he still hasn't changed his name, old habits die hard. Saul and Barnabas are actually sent to go to Jerusalem. Uh, they're sent with an offering because at that stage, that was how it sort of played out. The offerings would be collected wherever they were uh, and they'd be sent off into Jerusalem or they'd be sent to other churches as was need. And so they were the ones who were identified. They were the ones who were given this task of heading to Jerusalem. And an important little piece here in verse 25 of chapter 12 is we're introduced to a third character. I'm not going to talk too much about John right now, but John, who was also called Mark, traveled with them back to Antioch. He came with them when they returned from Jerusalem. They brought John Mark with them. Chapter 13, verse 1 to 3. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Uh, here's a really important part. Firstly, uh, you'll notice there that it's still Saul. This is the last time where Saul is Saul. From this point forward, he actually becomes Paul. So just following this, at this point, Barnabas and Saul are identified for some special purpose. For, for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit has come and said, I want, I want Saul and Barnabas. I want them to be set apart. I've got a particular purpose for them. I've got a particular role. The Holy Spirit itself identified Saul and Barnabas as having something significant to contribute. And effectively, immediately following this passage, we actually have Saul's name changed to Paul. And for the rest of Scripture, it's kind of it's almost always Paul, although sometimes it refers to Paul also called Saul. Uh, and the name seems to be interchangeable from this point forward. But the Spirit itself identified that this couple had something significant to offer. Uh, in Acts chapter 14, verse 1 to 7, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogues. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and prisoners and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of this city were divided, some with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with the leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to Lyconium, the cities of Lystra and Derbe, and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stones. They tried together to come and stone them. So what we have here is we see that Paul and Barnabas experienced great joy. They had a lot of fruit. They had a lot of really good times together, traveling the road, seeing people come to faith. They planted churches and got things going, but they also suffered together. 
Uh, the, the journey of the early church, the journey of the early Christians was definitely not all roses. Uh, in lots of places, they had people who came together and actually wanted to stone them or find ways to kill them. And Paul and Barnabas went through these experiences together. I wonder as you think about if there are any of those people you thought about earlier, those who you journeyed with or those who you might have had a friendship with, or you might know some people who had a really deep friendship, and you remember what it was like. To be in those places together, to serve together, to go together, to, to really have that camaraderie with that person or that group or that place. The joy that comes from actually serving together. And even when the times are difficult, when you're with those people, when you're with that group, there's just something significant. That's what Paul and Barnabas experienced together. Right, then we come to Acts 15. Now, this is the passage we looked at last week. So for those of you who were with us last week, uh, we talked about this. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Once again, you see the significant role that Paul and Barnabas played. It was actually Paul and Barnabas who actually didn't sit comfortably with the idea that you had to be circumcised to be a Christian. They'd been teaching in Antioch and they'd, they were getting to know these Gentile Christians who were coming to know Jesus. And, and they just didn't, they didn't buy that idea that you had to be Jewish to be a Christian. And so it was Paul and Barnabas that were sent back to go and find. And if you're here last week, you will have known that the, that the decision was made by the, the, the apostles, by the followers of Jesus. No, you don't. You don't have to be circumcised. Uh, they gave four things, two things that were to do with the command and two things that were just really good about how can Gentiles get along with Jews because there's going to be a difference of understanding. And it was Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barney, maybe. I don't know. Probably not. But it was those two that were sent to go and to find the answer. So you can see throughout the book of Acts, if you hadn't picked this up before, Paul and Barnabas play an incredible role together. And they're so often used in tandem. It's Paul and Barnabas this, Saul and Barnabas that, Paul and Barnabas go here, Saul and Barnabas do this. There's an incredibly tight union of purpose between Paul and Barnabas. And anyone who kind of has a bit of a hunch of where we might be going with this, you're probably waiting for where's the catch, what happens? Well, that's what we find out next. See, not long after this significant win, not long after this time, or some time later, it doesn't say exactly how long, some time later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns we have preached the word of the Lord, and see how they are doing. Because they've been to lots of places. They've had a lot of people come to know Jesus because of their ministry. So let's go back. Let's go and see how they're going. Barnabas wanted to take John, who we were introduced to a few passages ago, also called Mark with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted 
company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. I always find it fascinating when the Bible summarizes a significant event in one verse. Like Up until this point, you've seen how many passages, and I didn't even read all of them. I've already truncated some of the verses that are in Acts that talk about Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. And here in one verse we get, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. I, I would love to know more. What happened? Like, was there a big Barney? Was there a big fight? Did they, like, did they get really aggro? Because you know, if you know anything about conflict between people, and you probably have some idea, when you have a disagreement to the level that means that you actually have to depart from one another, something fairly significant must have gone on. And where we often find ourselves in this point is we ask this question. Who was right? Who was right? Was, was Paul right to say no to John? Was, was Barnabas right to say, no, we have to have Mark? Well, I actually think as we look at the evidence from this point forward, you can make an argument they were both right. You can make an argument that neither of them were right. Uh, what actually happens is at this point, this is the last real, this is, def this is the last mention of Barnabas in Acts. And it's almost the last reference to Barnabas in the whole New Testament. Uh, there's a couple of places later in some of the letters that Paul writes, which kind of steals some of the thunder, but I'll come to that in a moment, <coughs> where Barnabas gets mentioned. But other than that, the only, thing, only reason we know anything about Barnabas after this point is there's a lot of other writings about Barnabas that aren't scripture, but they do tell us a bit about where he went to. And it certainly seems like he became a fairly prominent person. Uh, he went to be involved in serving the church in other contexts, uh, led a lot of people who became very early leaders in the church uh, who were actually disciples of Barnabas. So maybe, maybe Barnabas was wrong because he's now pretty much written out of the Bible. Or maybe Paul was wrong. Uh, if Paul was wrong, because this is what happens. In 2 Timothy verse, chapter 4, verse 11, we read this. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Uh, we know that the letter of 2 Timothy was written later on. It's interesting that at some time later, Paul actually asks for Mark to be brought to him. At some point down the track, obviously Paul and Mark had reconciled it. At some part down the track, Paul and Mark had actually come together and started to serve together. And yet, bringing Mark with him was enough to mean that Paul and Barnabas separated. So maybe Paul was wrong. Uh, not only that do we find this, we actually find that Paul refers to Barnabas as equal to himself. So in 1 Corinthians 9.6, or is it only I and Barnabas who lacks the right to not work for a living? In many cases, you sort of see Paul talking about Barnabas, and it's not derogatory, he's not demeaning him and saying he's a terrible person. What seems to have happened is they've actually just, they've parted company, they held very strongly to their views at that point. But they have parted company. But I don't think asking the question who was right and who was wrong is actually what was important in the place of conflict. When, when conflict happens between Christians, sometimes we can expend a lot of energy trying to work out who's right and who's wrong. 
but I'm not actually sure. In fact, oftentimes you never get an answer to that question. You never actually find out because it's very rarely 100%, 0%. Maybe Paul needed to be a little bit more gracious towards Mark because it certainly turns out that he ends up working very closely with Mark. Maybe Barnabas needed to be a little bit more open to seeing from Paul's perspective. Hey, this guy's already deserted us once. Like, Do we really want to have someone else come along on that journey? Maybe that's not what's actually important. What, what I see taking place here, and the key thing that I'd love for all of us to think about when it comes to conflict in the church or conflict with Christians, is that disagreement doesn't have to detract from the mission. That just because there's disagreement, just because there's conflict, just because there might be a breakdown in a relationship, there's a way to actually approach that conflict and there's a way to approach that relationship or that breakdown that doesn't have to detract from the mission. From this point, it is clear, Paul and Barnabas go their own ways and we don't have that Hollywood reunion where they run into each other's arms and they embrace and say, oh, it's so good to have you back in my life. We don't have that. We don't see that. But what we do see is they both clearly go on to have incredible ministries. They, they continue to go and serve God. And so I've got, I've got four things that I want us to sort of reflect on as we think about this uh, that I think would be great opportunities to think about. Maybe if you've got conflict with someone else or if you've had conflict with someone else or if conflict comes up. And this is not, I'm not dealing specifically with the conflict. You absolutely need to talk to people. You need to get some help. You need to get some support. But some principles that I think we see from the story of Paul and Barnabas, because it was a significant enough disagreement that they had to part. But these things happen after this. Firstly, when you disagree with someone else, find a way to get on with the mission. Don't let that disagreement you have with that person send you away from the mission of God. Because what often happens when Christians come into conflict or Christians have a disagreement uh, is something occurs and actually neither party really continues to actually be about the mission. It can be about tearing down that person or pulling down or, or getting revenge or having something of that nature. But what we see with Paul and Barnabas is though they separate... And I still think there is a bit of a grievance there. There's a, there's a grieving the loss of what Paul and Barnabas were achieving. It's very clear they both got on with the mission. They both continued to go and serve God. When you disagree, when you have a breakdown in that context, find a way to get back on mission. Also recognize... Today's enemies may be tomorrow's friends. So Paul was so sure that John Mark was not trustworthy, that he was willing to depart from his closest friend. He was willing to go his separate ways. He was so convinced that John Mark was not trustworthy. And yet just some time later, Mark becomes one of Paul's most treasured traveling companions. And if you didn't know, the mark we're talking about is the mark attributed with writing the book of Mark. John Mark is generally held to be the author of what we know as the gospel of Mark. He, he kind of becomes a fairly significant character. 
writing what is generally held to be one of the earliest versions of the Gospels. Just recognize when, you're, when you don't trust someone or when things might be going on, that doesn't mean just you know, willy-nilly just trust everyone. But recognize that those you might see as not being in that place that you could serve with today, it may well be that down the track they become someone who is really important to you. And so let that flavor how you react in the moment. Uh, when you disagree... Aim to keep your dignity and respect intact. We don't know the full story of what happened between Paul and Barnabas. We don't know exactly what played out, how this occurred. But neither of them seem to lose any respect from other followers of Jesus. All the writings that we have about what happened from there for Barnabas, they're all positive. They all talk about his positive character and the things that he went on to do and the writings and the places that he served. And Paul goes on to write much of the New Testament and goes on to be a significant part of what we know. We don't know exactly what happened in the breakdown, but we do know that in their breakdown, in their separation, they didn't lose respect and dignity in the way that they went about their conflict. Uh, too often when Christians have a, a conflict break out, it can so often be about pulling them down or pushing them aside. And, and it's a, it can be really nasty and really difficult. If you've ever been in, in that context, I have. It's not nice. But what's impressive about the story of Paul and Barnabas is, yes, they still separate. This is not a Hollywood story of perfection. But they both get on with the mission and they, neither of them seems to lose the dignity and respect of other followers of Jesus. And then the last one is one that, this is an important one maybe to think about in advance or, or to try and think through for yourself. What convictions are worth separating over? What convictions that you hold to? Because I can tell you now, there are some convictions that are worth separating over. There are some convictions that Christians will have and will hold to that are worth saying, you know what, we're actually going to go our separate way. Now, one of the reasons we have so many denominations is, in, in some cases, for good reasons for division. In other cases, that can be debatable. But over the years, that's part of the story of Christianity, is people hold to convictions. Just be really clear. Think for yourself. What are my convictions that I actually hold to so tightly? that they're worth separating over. I'd love to be a fly in the wall with God. I look forward to maybe asking God in eternity. But, you know, Paul and Barnabas, was that, a, was that in, in some ways it was a good thing in that the mission got spread? But how it happened, did, it, did that have to happen? Was, was that the only way for this to occur? Could there not have been a different way for this to happen? Was it worth the convictions that they held to in that moment? What are the convictions that you hold to that are worth separating over? So remember, in, in conflict, I'm not, I'm not solving your conflict. Uh, if you've got conflict with some friends, if you've got conflict with Christians that you'd like to sort of actually work through, maybe there's some toxic conflict in your life. Uh, that cannot be addressed from a Sunday morning sermon. That, that's much greater than what would actually be able to be addressed today. 
But here are four things I think we can see from what actually takes place between Paul and Barnabas. When there is conflict, as far as you can control, think about how you can get back on mission. Think about how you can get back involved in the life of the kingdom of God. You can't control what the other party does and whether or not they do the same. But you can focus on going, you know what, I'm just going to get on with the mission. Always remember that today's enemies could be tomorrow's friends. And you might be like, that's never going to happen. That never. That this was enough for Paul to separate over. So he, had, he did not have a very high opinion of John Mark. And yet he becomes an essential traveling companion. When you disagree, disagree with dignity and respect. Find ways to do it with maturity. And think in advance about what convictions you hold to that are worth separating over. Let's pray. Father, we, we know that disagreement and conflict is not really what we're wanting to see in the life of the church. Lord, we are all human. It exists, it happens. We pray that you would help each of us in our own lives to, to do conflict well. We pray that you would help us this day and every day to get on with your mission. We thank you for our church and we thank you for the, the relationships that you're building in and through this church. We pray that you'd help us to be unified. You'd help us to be building together towards your common purposes. And that, Lord, you'd help us to disagree well. That when things come up in the church that we have different views or different opinions on, Lord, we pray that you'd help us in those times. Thank you for the model that we see through Paul and Barnabas and whether or not they were right or wrong, we can certainly see in how they approach things that there is still much to be done even if and when conflict arises. We pray that our church would grow and flourish in your name. Amen.